This is a Pain Information Network. FAQ. Well, today you got Hanson. I'm going to answer some of the questions I've been getting through paininformation.com. Go there, leave me a question, or read them all. And I try to get to you as soon as I can get these answers collaborated and put them into relevance. Uh, I think it's probably relevant. We go ahead today. Also, uh, go to iTunes and help me rank. Please uh, leave a review. It really helps. Every couple of uh, people that help me rank, I, I jump up. And it's a funny algorithm they must have, but it's relevant to, to visibility. And people can find us much easier when we are ranked well. It's funny. A couple of people ahead of me have nothing to do with pain. One is a, a server uh, technology type podcast. I don't know what that has. Well, I do know what it has to do with pain. Anybody that deals with computers, I get that. And a couple others that are just kind of uh, over on to the side. They don't really have any direct relationship to pain, painful disease entities, and painful states. This is an informational program. It's not meant to treat anybody. It's not meant to recommend a diagnosis. You got to talk that over with the uh, professional. You've got to find somebody that you're very comfortable with that has the proper credentials. Just because they belong to certain organizations doesn't mean they have credentials. Some of these organizations, they just kind of pop up and they have names and they sound very flowery, but they don't have depth. So uh, the American Academy of uh, Pain Medicine and American Society of Interventional Pain uh, Physicians, those are two really good ones. And uh, that would that'd be a really good podcast. Uh, we could lay out what each organization is best known for and what they do best and how they can help you understand better uh, what your malady is all about, what we can do, and what the resources are to help you. All right, so let's get into some of these questions. Uh, number one, will it ever go away? Well, will pain ever go away? Of course it can go away. There's different types of pain, and I've talked about this, the chronification of pain. Sometimes pain, when it starts, the acute phase is actually the chronic phase. And this chronification of pain is being studied now, and it's it's very, very interesting. There are some real thought leaders on chronification of pain. So in other words, some people that get low back pain, and they say, ouch, my back hurts, uh, are fine in six to eight weeks. Some, it's the start of a long progression of problems, even though radiographically they look the same and symptomatically they're the same. They have completely different courses. So this is an interesting part of neurobiology that's evolving. Will it go away? I don't know. A lot of different uh, painful states change directions. They change directions because of what they are. Let's just say if you have a bulging disc. Well, most people have bulging discs at some point in your life. If you bend your spine, you got a bulging disc. So what? You have a bulging disc. It's, it's, a, it's a structure that's meant to have some fluidity. And many asymptomatic people, people without symptoms, have bulging discs. And this has been looked at and studied. And some people that have really pretty crappy-looking spines don't have a lot of problems. But let's just take another type of person that has all sorts of problems. So what's going on there? Well, it, it's a different problem altogether. First of all, 
We're all snowflakes. I've said this before. We're all very different. And it's a three-joint complex. Your back has two joints in the back called facets. They're like the knuckles of your back. They're, they're just like any joint. They have uh, a surface. Uh, they have a bony structure. And it can get arthritic, just like your knee can, just like your fingers can. It, it can definitely get arthritic. And then there's the disc up front. Everybody seems to know the disc up front. Well, after about age 30, the... Uh, process of hydration, mostly by osmosis, it doesn't really remain as efficient as it was, and the disc space starts diminishing. As the disc space starts diminishing, uh, seemingly it would put a little more pressure on those facets and advance the arthritity along. Well, I, theoretically, you could say that, yeah. Can we say it with a high level of confidence? Yeah, maybe, but the the, the fact of the matter is everybody's going to be different. They're all going to have different types of pain from the spine. So will it ever go away? All right, I'm talking spine. Let's talk about another diagnosis. Let's talk neuropathy. Well, neuropathy can be very progressive, but can be very treatable. And it can also be due to metabolic issues that are a little out of control. Say, take, for example, diabetes. Um, Take, for example, if you got exposed to toxic metals. There's many different kinds of neuropathy. And most types of pain have some type of neuropathic component, if you really get down to it and look at it by descriptors. So just comparing those two examples, yeah, it can go away, but more likely it can be treated. Many chronic conditions can be treated. You know, when we get to be 50 or 60, yeah, I want to be 19. I want to have a 19-year-old spine. But we have to do things a little differently. Sometimes we have to take an NSAID from time to time or a traditional pain medication. Sometimes we need a gabapentinoid. Go back to the back for a second. Suppose that disc uh, gets a little uh, uh, more damaged and part of it starts sticking out and actually it mechanically irritates a nerve, well, that's very different. And that may have to be dealt with surgically. If something's getting rubbed on like a nerve that is very sensitive, let's face it, bones don't hurt, muscles don't hurt, nerves hurt, we have to do something. We have to act. Bed rest is a bad idea. I think that we all now know in contemporary medicine, putting somebody to the bed is going to decondition them fast, and that does not help your biomechanical structuring. And Sometimes when we send people to physical therapy, it's going to be a fail because they hurt. So we need to treat them before we get more biomechanically active. And certainly surgery should be considered way down the line. So will it ever go away? Yeah, it can. It's going to be diagnosis-specific. It's going to be disease-specific. But I can tell you, most pain is very, very treatable and manageable, and we can improve function and quality of life. All right, so that's kind of a circular discussion, but the takeaway here is if you feel you're undertreated, it isn't an opioid deficiency. We do not suffer from opioid dis- deficiencies. The Lord knows there's plenty of opioids in this world to go around. They cause a lot of trouble. They can be help- helpful, but they have to be monitored by a watchful eye of somebody that's very, very experienced with those. And interested in your well-being and not just a walk in the room, hey, how you doing, see you next month, and just hand a prescription. No, remember those benchmarks. We need those. Where are you now, three months from now, six months from now? And we look at progression because I can tell you there are folks that come into my office all the time that 
say, I just don't think I'm getting better. And then I show them their functional indices. They couldn't even go to the grocery store six months ago. And now they're riding in a car in an hour and they're playing with their grandchildren and things like that. And that to me is pain kind of going away or getting better controlled. Look at it that way. Don't look at it as a cure. There's very few diseases we can cure in medicine. We generally treat everybody in an artful way, and we try not to be entirely too scientific. We try to put the art of medicine ahead of the science sometimes and do what's practical to get the best outcome. Okay, why me? Well, I don't know why you. Why do I have cancer? Why do I have back problems? Why do I have headaches? I don't know. I I don't know why some people get some afflictions and others don't. It's it's to me uh, frustrating that I don't have more time to just sit with people and help them understand that we can help you. I don't think that this is necessarily a sentence that you have, but it's something that you have. And once we make the proper diagnosis, we can move forward. And that's very positive. That's not necessarily a downside to life. That's an upside to life. Most humans get something. And let's just put it on the most primitive of things, and that would be starvation. Uh, I mean, we don't want that, and we certainly don't have to have that. But let's put it on some of the more of the difficult entities that we have to treat, and that's the cancers and things like this. We still can do a whole bunch. Why you? I don't know. Why me? Why do some people get cardiovascular disease? Well, they have certain things involved. There are modifiable features in health profile that we can change our life's path forward. Take, for example, heart disease. Let's get our cholesterol down. We really can get cholesterol down only a small amount with diet. A small amount goes a long way. We can get our blood pressure down. That's very important. Let's get your blood pressure under control. Let's get more exercise. Let's get active, active, active people. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to be active. I I hurt too much to be active. Don't catastrophize. Even if it walks to the mailbox this week, next week we go to the mall, and the following week we walk halfway around the high school track. You know, whatever it takes, just get active. Do not underscore, I hurt too much to get moving. Please don't do that. You can do active uh, range of motion in a chair. You can use low uh, resistant weights sitting in a chair. There's so many things you can do. If you even want to do Tai Chi, that's awesome. Whatever it is that gets your mind, your soul, and your body together. So the why me's are don't smoke. Every pound counts. Try to stay as healthy as you can. Stay active. And the why me goes, I feel good about me. And that's, that's a good, good way to look at it. All right. Why, why are some days worse? I don't know. Some days are just worse. There has to be something to do with the weather. I hear it all the time. I'll, I'll be sitting in my office on a, a crummy day where an inversion is coming through, and I'll hear from four or five people, whereas a beautiful spring day, I, I just don't hear that. I think there's got to be something out there. Barometric pressure, something along those lines, probably has to do with nitrogen in joints. Uh, who knows? Uh, the ways the satellites are aligning with the moon and the stars, I don't know. But time of day has something to do with it, and some days may be worse. The more active you are, less of a factor for the time of day. You can wake up and you can get moving a little better. And the more you stay in shape, and as I said, every pound counts, the better you're going to feel throughout the day.
All right, it's migratory. It goes all over the place. My pain is here. My pain is there. Well, if you if you worry about that too much, you start chasing your pain. And you don't want to be chasing your pain. What you want to do is focus on the big picture. Is your diagnosis correct? Get the five rules down. Is your diagnosis correct? Are your meds correct? Are you doing the right things, uh, such as your stretching, range of motion, activities, mental focusing, and the like? Don't don't worry so much about the migratory pain. All right, I will backtrack a little and say that if something is specifically new, if something is significant, in other words, my foot doesn't work right, my foot drops, got to get that fixed, got to get that checked. I, I don't know, I just feel really funny. My whole side isn't working right and it tingles a lot. Or something along those lines, you know, learn learn the signs of stroke. That doesn't necessarily mean you're having a stroke, but there is that uh, initial hour that we have to react if we think something is significantly changed. Have a fairly low threshold if you're worried about going to the ER. However, patients that go to the ER for pain control, I, I you know, I discourage that. The ER is for emergencies. And that's kind of what I'm talking about here. If you think there's something significantly different, activate. Uh, if you're significantly con- concerned, you know, of course there's 911. I was a paramedic uh, sitting in County of Denver in a previous life. And I can tell you what, I don't, I never minded if people didn't know, but they were scared when they had a, a change in something. And, you know, maybe they were a little older and they were scared. I never minded. I, you know, I'm there to help them, and I think that that's the way EMS really feels, and that's the way the ERs feel. But for pain control, I ran out of my Lorset Plus, something like that. No, no. My back has been hurting just like this uh, for a long time. You know, that can probably wait till you see your family doctor. Okay, so I think you get the point there. All right, why do I keep picking on benzodiazepines? Well, benzodiazepines... I think are just going to turn out to be historical drugs. Yes, they can help, and I do use them. I particularly use clonazepam or clonopin because it has a neuropathic component. But I can't think of the last time I wrote Prazolam or Xanax. I just can't. I can't even think of a reason I'd want to write that. Oh, what about my panic? Well, we have other drugs for panic. We have other ways to treat panic. And if you have somebody in pain, particularly those on opioids, you've just ratcheted up the the risk with benzodiazepines. The risk of respiratory depression, they're highly habituating. It's easy to get hooked on them. They interfere with sleep architecture. You don't really sleep well. They interfere with uh, mood. They interfere pain in the sense that they drop serotonin a little bit, so your pain might get a little worse, and you might get a little more depressed. You don't really think about that, but you just don't feel like you used to feel. There's a whole whole bunch of reasons. I'm just so careful with benzodiazepines, but particularly mixing them with other central nervous system depressants. Okay, what's suboxone? Well, Suboxone is a great, great drug. And I have to tell you, one of the best things we have done as uh, physicians, dating back to about year 2000, is acknowledge the fact that this drug can help treat the cravings of addiction and in many cases just basically save lives. It's a great drug. I'm going to do an entire podcast on it. But you're not just substituting one drug for another. If you use Suboxone to help get off some of the other either prescription opioids or heroin or 
whatever it is, it, it, street drugs, and you really want help, it's a game changer. It's a good drug, and it's not substituting one drug for another. It is a treatment. So, yeah, there's a lot of privacy laws around Suboxone. I would urge anyone that uh, knows somebody that is on Suboxone to not discuss it with others. Keep your opinions to yourself. Understand that they have their personal challenges, and they have elected a very viable, potent, and important way of taking care of themselves. And it's a very, very good drug to treat one of America's biggest problems, and that's the crisis we're going through with prescription and non-prescription opioids used illicitly. All right, there's so many opinions on the CDC guidelines. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions on the CDC guidelines. And the ones I've heard in the media are from a lot of people that uh, are probably not the frontline people that understand opioids in the treatment of not only pain, but uh, addiction or habituation, this sort of thing. They're from third parties considered value experts, but not necessarily experts on on opioids. So what you're hearing on the CDC guidelines, just be be careful with its interpretation. Even physicians are getting nervous about these CDC guidelines. They are a guideline. They are not a standard of care. There are many guidelines out there that help point physicians or caregivers one direction or another. They are not a standard of care. They just are there to help. And some of the things in the CDC guidelines I've talked about, they're good. Others are obvious. We should be doing them anyway. And I think it's a a step in a positive direction, but some of it is not necessarily either scientific or making a lot of sense in my mind. But you can go back to that podcast, listen to what I said about it. I'll probably do another one because I'm getting so many questions about that. All right, my doctor wants to take me off my oxycodone. I know my body. I know what works for me. That works really well. And he says it's not a good long-term drug. Well, he or she is correct. Even the CDC guidelines say start with immediate release drugs, go to extended release. I guess there's some thought there. There's not a lot of science that says one is better than the other. But if there is any concern about the prescriber or caregiver that you might be walking down a path you don't want to go, it's okay to make a change. You may know your body They may know the science and pharmacology. Let's mix those two together. So have an active conversation. But please, if you start to get a little confrontational, it only leads you up uh, the red flag uh, pole. You don't want to be there. It's, It's a challenge for us all. We want to get you the relief you need. Let us, as the educated caregiver, help you understand that there are many choices out there. Yeah, you know your body. And, well, we do a little bit, too. So let's find some common ground. Okay. All right, this is an important one. I I get leg cramps when I walk. Well, that's important because it's one, two, or three things. It might be vascular in nature. That's important. That's called claudication. Or it might be from changes in blood flow around your spinal cord. That's called neurogenic claudication. Or it might be both. Now, the first thing we got to do is we got to make sure it's not vascular because there's a strong association with cardiac issues and if you have peripheral vascular disease. In other words, hardening of the arteries, decreased blood flow. 
It's got to be worked up. And that's why you have to have an open discussion with your care provider describing the symptoms, describing what you see happening to your leg. Do you have discoloration? Is there a problem? That is, that is different when you lean over the shopping cart or go up or down stairs. All important clues for us uh, to have an open conversation about. I tell you, when people says, say to me they have cramps when they walk, uh, I want to make sure that their primary care physician is aware and the appropriate studies are done. If vascular has been ruled out or if there's a less likelihood of this being just strictly vascular, I'll look at uh, the spine then. But neurogenic claudication is very common. It comes from stenosis or squeezing in the spine. So there should be probably an active workup going on when these symptoms progress. Don't don't take this lightly. The classic symptoms of neurogenic claudication is people feel better going up a stairs. Uh, they feel better leaning over the sh- shopping cart, and uh, they just want to take pressure off their spine. That does not mean you don't have any vascular issues. Please be wise and careful. Okay, my back pain is here, then it's there, and it's here, and my doctor says I have myofascial pain. What in the world is myofascial pain? Well, it's a descriptor. It's a symptom describer. There's a lot of ways to put it. Myofascial pain means that you have an inflammation-like characteristic to back pain where you touch it, ouchy, and it moves around, and it's here, there, and everywhere. And it can be in other places as well. It can be in your shoulder. It can be in your neck, in your legs. It can be kind of all over the place, but usually it's not necessarily a, a, a problem and it's treatable. But again, let's make sure it's not underdiagnosed. So, you know, we'll get that diagnosis, move forward, make sure the myofascial pain isn't something such as a fibromyalgia or fibromyalgic type pain, or it isn't a vascular issue or uh, something to do with the neurocompressive entity. All right, that's some of the questions, and go ahead and throw some more at me if you'd like. I'd love to hear from you, and we'll talk to you soon.